young people around the world want to see change. Join your co-hosts, William, Anastasia, and George, as they speak to young leaders from around the world on their stories, their struggles, and most importantly, their incredible impact. In season two of this podcast, be ready to get inspired. This is where action begins, and this is the Young Changemakers podcast. Okay, hi, Rachel, and welcome to the Young Changemakers podcast. It's um, um, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show, and I'm sure for the South African listeners, you don't really need an introduction, um, but for the broader audience, um, yeah, would you mind just sharing a bit more about yourself and how you stumbled into the work of the Khaleesi Foundation? Sure. Um, thank you so much for having me, firstly, George. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And, um, yeah, there's two things that I absolutely love talking about, and it's um, RISE and it's, uh, and it's the Khaleesi Foundation and the work that we get to be doing. Um, so for those of you who may not know me, my name is Rachel Khaleesi. Um, I have four amazing kids. <laughs> um, I've got an 18 year old, a 12 year old who may or may not be going on 16, um, a five year old and a two year old. Um, I also have an organization called Rise, which is um, for women and just helping women to live more purposeful lives through health and fitness. Um, I'm, I'm also married to um, Sia Kolisi who um, was recently the World Cup winning captain in Japan um, for rugby, if you don't listen, if you don't watch rugby. And then, uh, uh, yes, so the Khaleesi Foundation. So off of the back of the World Cup, um, we always knew that we wanted to do a lot of work in South Africa. Um, and we didn't want, uh, see it specifically, didn't really want his only legacy to be on the rugby field and what he achieved there. Um, he wanted it to be significant and um, and a, a legacy that he left behind. And um, so the whole year last year, I actually knew we were going to win the World Cup and I planned my whole year around it um, to the point that I only booked my flight home from the World Cup with no no flexible flights or anything, but after, after the final. And... Um, and yeah, we just, we already had a plan going into it. Um, so we didn't want to waste any time coming home. Um, and, you know, of course, to enjoy the celebrations and stuff is important, but um, we just wanted to get to work. So that's that's what we did as soon as we got, just got to work. And um, we thought we were going to found the foundation. Um, we thought it would be around July, August. So around this time this year. Um, but of course when COVID hit, we knew we wanted to help and we had already, um, created some significant relationships with, um, brands and with people of influence. And, um, we just wanted to leverage off of that and use that. And, um, so the foundation was founded and, um, we didn't have a logo. We didn't have a website. We had nothing ready, but we wanted to help, um, which I think really speaks to the heart of the foundation and, uh, the work we do. So, yeah, here we are a couple of months later and uh, we have been working, that is for sure. I love how you're so confident that the Springboks were going to get the World Cup back in their hands. <laughs> <laughs> but I know as an Australian, I was definitely um, behind the box as well. Um, I'm so thrilled for, for yourself and Sia 
and and the nation at large for for the win because I know it means so much for South Africa. But going back to your to your foundation, I guess you didn't anticipate starting starting everything and all these new projects um, during a global pandemic. How has that challenge fared out? And if you wouldn't mind giving some more concrete examples of the work that you're doing exactly, um, Rachel. Of course. So, um, you know, I kind of mentioned that we started without a website. We started without a logo. We didn't have a vision, a mission, anything. We just knew we wanted to get to work. Um, so I've been doing an, a number of community projects for a couple of years already. Um, he, of course, has been giving back a lot into his community where he grew up as well. Um, yeah, so we started off with the foundation was PPE with COVID. So we thought protection mm-hmm. gear for the um, And we did a number of, I can't even remember, I think it was like 5,000 liters of sanitizer, um, like 3,000 masks. I think we did a bunch of PPE at three different hospitals around South Africa. Um, and then the private sector kind of said to us, rather not to do um, too much PPE, because um, in South Africa, we have a lot of, um, I'm trying to find the right word, but a lot of, um, I don't know, I, I can't think of the word, but um, right. basically the advantage of the fact if there's extra, so mm. um, which did happen. So there was a lot of extra PPE in a lot of hospitals, which was then stolen and resold. Sure. Um, so they just advised early on to not go the PPE route and rather encourage mm-hmm. people to stay home. And what needed to happen for that to happen was people to get fed. Um, so we set a goal of feeding a thousand families at the beginning of COVID. And um, we didn't want to commit to a family for one month because it's, COVID was too long and too hard hit to commit, in my opinion, and in our opinion, is to only commit to a family for a month or to do like a one-stop shop drop. Mm. Um, it's just not, someone's lost their job. Um, you, it's got to be something a little bit longer and you've got to think of how you're going to sustain that after. So we committed to three months to all the drops that we did and um, and we are now close to a hundred thousand families um, wow. that we fed throughout. And um, our packs are the biggest packs, uh, food packs that were given in South Africa. Um, and and that was purely because we had a great relationship with um, pick and pay and boxes stores, All and right. um, wanted to give as well. But it just it speaks to the fact that any person of influence already you know even influencers if you will so like fashion and whatever you whatever they're into they all have relationships with brands and mm-hmm. those brands all have capacity to be able to give back in fact they have to so it's just kind of navigating that and making sure that you can be a part of that foundation or no foundation cool. um and now in Women's Month, so gender-based violence is out of control in South Africa. Um, the one in every three, these are just some stats, one in every three women in South Africa will be raped. Um, and a woman in South Africa has a higher chance of being raped um, and abused than they do of learning to read. So um, mm. during Women's Month, something that we really wanted to tackle was the, the issue around gender-based violence. Um, and we recently had a call um so sia became an ambassador for the un and and we recently had a call with Charlize turan um and she's it's also something that's very big on her heart so we're looking at trying to 
um, find a way that we can work together on that. But at this stage, what we've done is um, we've created power to you packs, um, which have a whistle in and uh, a pepper spray, a small little pepper spray, and mm-hmm. uh, and masks, and also a journal that we've created with um, with emergency numbers and okay. you know anything to equip her to get out of an emergency situation. So um, we've created those power to you packs, and they've already gone out into communities and. Um, I actually spoke to a lady recently who was, um, who was a survivor of rape and abuse. And, um, and I asked her, I was like, would this help you? Would this have helped you in your situation? And she said, definitely. So Mm. there's, there's a lot of almost after you've been raped, here's a care package. Sorry about what happened to Mm. you. So almost like care packs, but nothing for prevention, um, which is what we wanted to tackle. So, we started these little prevention packs and so far they've been absolutely incredible and hoping that they are going to make a huge impact um, in communities. And um, yeah, we're planning, we've only started, I think with a thousand, um, but we're planning on doing many, many more. Wow. That sounds incredible, Rachel. Um, I think this transitions nicely into what um, the young change makers organization is predominantly focused on is youth empowerment. Now, I guess to help transition and change the narrative of South Africa, a lot of the work and focus you've also tried to aim at is is on youth. Could you um, talk a bit more about that and how yourself and Sia have, you know, whether it's through sport or um, visiting schools, how have you specifically targeted youth in South Africa? Yeah, and it's a very good point and actually... um just to touch on that is, um, you know, everyone talks about a foundation having to have a, um, <clears throat> having to have a specific thing that they target, um, something that they, something that they want to, um, achieve a goal. Mm. Um, and it's almost been so great being able to work on the ground and work in the communities during this time. Um, because we've kind of been able to establish the work that we really want to do. And one of that is definitely among the youth, you know, talking into gender-based violence again. Um, boys have to be taught how to respect a woman, how to love a woman, how to treat a woman. Um, so a lot of that has had to start at a youth age as well. So um, we're also looking at um, partnering with so, so with our foundation, we're not necessarily trying to reinvent a wheel mm. in anything. And it partner, there's a lot of small organizations in this country that are doing really incredible work that actually just need a light shone on the work that they've already been doing. Um, and they just don't have the resource. They just don't have the platform. So that's where we kind of coming in now. And we like, we want to um, amplify the work that you're doing already. So, um, so yeah, one of the organizations has this boys group, like this men's group that walks in the communities and um, walks women from like their home to the taxi um, and just transports them to make sure that they're safe. Um, and yeah, wow. just going into development, um, one of the things that's so definitely the gender-based violence, a lot of boys um, and attackers that grow up to be attackers are um are products of what happened in their environment. Mm. So um, we're also attacked, we're also abused. And, um, you know, men being raped, that's something, boys being raped, that's something that's not even like touched on, Mm. which is a massive as well. Um, 
and just kind of giving them a voice, but um, going more into like the sporting development side of things. So it, it's kind of great because we have such a good insight into what's going on into the communities because Tia lived it. That was his reality. So we almost trying to, we trying to write the things that were wrong in his life for youth in South Africa. So what were the issues? He didn't get food. Um, he didn't have clothing. He didn't have an opportunity to go to a model C school. Um, and just safety, like he wasn't safe. Um, so these are all issues that we trying to, you know, slowly tackle. Um, obviously COVID has taken us a little bit sideways on that, but, um, yeah, the more we work there, the more we realize the need for it. But, um, he's also just completed a, so he did a, a collaboration with farm brand, um, who creates great leather products with a shoe and, um, the proceeds that they collected from that shoe, then, um, they built a field, um, in Imaquinship and it's, it's an incredible field, which, and a field is more than just like kids training on a rugby field with grass. Like there's so much more opportunities for a community to have a field. You know, if you think about um, when we went to school, we, our, our schools would almost use those fields for um, market days or um, kind of fundraisers for the schools. And that's kind of the thought process behind creating fields as well as creating an income stream for the communities. Hi there. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. We just wanted to let you know that we're on social media at we are GCM and don't hesitate to follow us. And if you'd like to support us further, we also have a Patreon page typing global change makers and decide which tier is best for you. And now on with the rest of the episode. No, I definitely, I think you've identified the root causes as you said, like um, sort of seeing how Sia, you know, going through his, being, putting yourself in his shoes and um, using his story and walking that with him and then sort of going back to the communities that need his help. It's really, um, I think it's a good model to work off. Um, Rachel, I want to throw it back onto you. Back in February of 2019, you yourself got your, your hands dirty or, and you did, went for a bit of a bike ride. Could you tell us more? Um, and I think it was from Kimberley, am I right, for all the way down to Cape Town. Now that's, yeah. I've travelled from um, Kimberley actually down to, across to East London and down to Pea and across to Cape Town. It's one hell of a journey, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> can you tell us more about you know, that project um, and the extreme ride for hunger? Yeah, so um, I feel like I was forced into that actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so the organ his name is Bevan and um, Bevan just contacted me on social media and he was like hey I would love for you to join this ride and um, at the time I was really fit um, I'd ne- I, I don't ride bikes I'm not a you know you get people and you get bike people and I'm just not a bike person oh, I'm on the same um, page I absolutely hate <laughs> riding right oh my god so yeah just not a bike person and um, and Bevan I'm telling you that man can sell a spoon to a chef. Like he is just, I mean, I don't know. So anyway, how he sold it to me was because he knew my heart and he knew my heart for the community. And 
he just said, you know, it's so important for people to know about the hunger issue in South Africa. This is two years before COVID. And, um, and he's like, we stop off in all of the rural communities where literally they don't even have a shop in those communities. And you've never seen desperation like that before. And, and at the time, you know, I was almost, I had had a baby. I don't think she was one yet. And mm-hmm. I was so just involved in what Sia was doing. And I didn't have anything. Rise wasn't a thing yet. And I didn't have anything for me. So I was like, you know what? Like, I've had two babies. I've been doing this mom thing for years. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I just want something for myself. So I was like, I'm going to go on a six-day trip. And I'm going to go do this flip and ride. So mm-hmm. my training... <laughs> I I did training um, at a sports science center um, on a watt bike, but those other than I did, I hate those. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. And I had one of the best trainers in South Africa giving me programs and stuff, which was such a blessing. Hmm. Um, I didn't own a bike, so Trick um, sponsored a bike for me just for that trip, and um, they sent the bike like <laughs> ten days before I was supposed to leave. And I remember I, I rode around the Rondebosch Common, which is probably riding around there is about 5Ks. Yep. Um, I rode around it four times. So I did about 10Ks. Um, and then I got a puncture. <laughs> so I rode the dudes and that was it. That was all the training I did. Otherwise, I did one ride just up my street because there was some newspaper that wanted to do an article. And I gosh, fell, actually. <laughs> I left in my in my um in the pedal yeah. and um <laughs> and i leaned the way that my foot was um i leaned the way that my foot was stuck and um so it was just a bit of a disaster <laughs> and that was the only article i did and then of course we did the ride so i had no idea what i was getting myself into we wake up at three o'clock in the morning um and we ride between 180 to 200 k's a day um, in total, it's a thousand kilometers from Kimberley to Cape Town. Um, and it was horrific to <laughs> say the least. I rode with a bunch of professional riders and I was the most novice rider there. So half the rider honestly had them pushing my back. Um, so just pushing me forward and teaching me about a slip. I had no idea what a slip was. And um, yeah, I just learned so much on that ride. But what really kept me going was the stop. So at the end of every day, we would stop off in the rural communities. And man, you think people are struggling in South Africa until you really like get stuck mm. into those places that are like destitute. More rural and, communities, yeah. Oh, absolutely nothing going on there. And um, yeah, it's it was a big eye opener. So we dropped off food parcels along the way. We had a bunch of trucks with us and we dropped your food parcels, but, um, it's, you know, I hated majority of the actual riding, but the mm. rest of it, the, people, the, the, the just eye opening experience of it, um, was, um, was something that I could never, I could never get again. And I would do it every single year, obviously with a little bit more training. Mm. Um, but I, I believe do it again and again and again and encourage so many people to do it as well. In fact, we finished off in Kailicha and I hadn't been in Kailicha. Um, I was, I had been almost hijacked there. Um, 
and that was the previous time that I'd been there. And um, the, the next time was on a bike and you feel a lot more exposed on a bike than you do in a car. But mm. um, it was incredible that I, I would do it all again. For sure. Wow. Yeah, that's good. I don't think I'd be saying the same thing. Um, I know the sort of, but the, the mentality that you had going into that, maybe you wouldn't have been so confident and whatnot. But um, yeah, it must have been really rewarding, Rachel. And like you said, actually at the end of each day to um, be doing some, some meaningful work and um, handing out the, the food parcels. Um, yeah, that's incredible. And I mean, during a pandemic, a lot of these communities are very vulnerable as is, and that's just exacerbated by, you know, so many different things. They're not able to work. Um, if they are able to work, they're not able to sort of get public transport, public transport during the lockdown. So, yeah, just food security and alleviating hunger is, is massive. Um, so, Rachel, um, our last question, I think, what what's in store for for the Khaleesi Foundation moving forward? Because you've already achieved so so much in what is it like seven or eight months less than it's, it's not <laughs> even. So it was from March to where are we now? August. So that's like four four months. Um, yeah, and yeah, we've managed to do a lot of work, but there's a lot of work to do. So. I did an interview recently where someone said, um, wow, you must just go to bed every night with such satisfaction for the amazing work you're doing. And I'm just like, absolutely not. Every mm. single time I leave the community, I go to bed with my heart so heavy and um, just realizing like how much more work there is to do here. Um, oh, And you know what? Like until there's equality in this country um, on all spectrums, we've got a long way to go and um, we definitely do. So um, the fact that there's still people walking around like hungry and going to bed hungry, that's a problem. Like mm. that's, that's, that's inhumane. That's torture, you know? And, um, and, you know, people are quick to judge about how dangerous South Africa is and um, you know, how bad it is and look how they loot trucks and burn schools and do all of these things. But, you know, I always think if we just take a minute and put our ourselves in somebody else's shoes. So let's say somebody, for instance, who works in the hospitality or tourism industry, who's, they're not going to be open for a long time. Right. And, um, they were getting a steady income and then all of a sudden the place had to close down and now there's nothing. And you have five kids at home, um, not necessarily your children, but um, family or friends of the community that you support. And now you're expected to still feed those five mouths without an income and still try to school fees, et cetera, et cetera. Honestly, if I was coming home to my kids and they were starving every day, mm. um, I would also loot a truck and I would yeah. also create some attention around my desperate needs. So as quick as we can be, you know, in our nice houses and our warm beds and our, you know, ordering out food as quick as we are to judge, we must just remember that for somebody else, it's an absolute desperate situation. And, um, and just to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, I think is, that's important. No, that's incredible. Cause it's a, I think perspective is, is a huge virtue to carry during these times. Um, and the, the work that the, the Khaleesi Foundation is doing is definitely shining light on 
different areas and I think yourself and, and Sia are certainly giving a voice and an opportunity for, you know, people, even people outside of South Africa to start to see um, just how important a united and sort of common story shared amongst others in South Africa is for it moving forward. I mean, I spent two years in South Africa and it was honestly one of the best experiences of my life and so it was much love. the best two years <laughs> of your life. Tell us the truth. <laughs> it was hell of fun. Yeah, I loved it and met so many great people and have kept in touch with them. And I know I'll be coming back um, and I'd love to get involved if possible with your work and get my hands yeah. dirty. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks very much, um, Rachel, for sharing your time and chatting with us on the Young Change Makers podcast today. Oh, George, it's such a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, so grateful for the opportunity. But I just want to finish off by saying um, the intention of, like, C and I getting involved now as well is to make it look like, especially for younger people, it's cool to be kind. It's cool to do good things for other people. You know, we beyond this point on social media of like having these perfect everything and sponsored everything. Like people want to see other people helping people want to know that brands are helping now. And, um, I just think that it's super important. You know, if you find yourself in a place of influence or not, if you are just a person like, find a need and do something about it it doesn't have to be something grand or big or great but honestly just feeding someone like taking out a sandwich for someone that's a massive it's not much for you to do but for somebody receiving it it's huge so don't underestimate the value of what it is to help somebody else and um and yeah it's cool to be kind Mm, i couldn't echo that enough um yeah thanks very much rachel and um this is such a great um, conversation I really look forward to sharing it with with our network. Yeah, awesome, George. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Remember that you can help us have a greater impact by sharing this and encouraging everybody on your social media to take a listen. If you want to reach out, remember that the contact of the co-host is down below in the show notes or feel free to do it on social media at WeRGCM. We will be very happy to talk to you and answer any of your questions. Also, remember to follow us and to subscribe to this podcast. See you in the next episode. Take care.